0: Just before we dive in to the episode, I wanted to let you know that my course, Your First Byline, is open for enrolment. So if you're the sort of person who has been aching to get into freelance writing and get your first byline, um, but you just don't know how, if you want to promote your business by writing an article and cementing your authority and get it into a newspaper or a magazine. Um, But you just don't know where you find the journalist details, how you pitch to an editor, um, and what to do if they actually commission you, how much to charge and what to write and in what format... I can help you with all of that. I've been doing it for about five years now. I've got hundreds and hundreds of bylines in national newspapers, in glossies, um, and I really want to help you see that it's actually a really simple process. I I had some amazing students in my May enrolment who went on to get bylines in the Metro, in O'Cumley, and I really want that for you too. So, If you've got any questions, feel free to email me. All of my details are in the show notes. And if you don't have any questions and you want to go straight in and sign up, then you can do so in the show notes. There are payment plans and VIP options available. You're listening to What She Said, a podcast about blogging, creativity and life online hosted by me, Lucy Leucraft, a freelance journalist and blogger based in Brighton. Today is episode nine and I couldn't be more excited to welcome Kate O'Sullivan back to the podcast. She was one of my guests back in season two. So we chatted just about her really super varied career. We talked about her online gap year which she took just before she came out online and her career journey that's taken many wiggly turns along the way. In this episode, we mostly chat about her experience of being part of the LGBTQ community online. One of her big things is making sure that she creates safe spaces online. Now, it's a bit of a different episode, I guess, in that we don't talk blogging tips and tricks I really really hope you enjoy the episode. I think you will, Kate's brilliant. Welcome back to the podcast, Kate. How are you? I'm
1: good. I'm really good. Thank you for having me back.
0: That's reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a good sign, isn't it? <laughs> so for anybody who doesn't know who you are, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your blogging journey so far?
1: Yes, I can. Thank you. Um my name's Kate and I used to host an online space uh, that I called A Playful Day. It was my kind of alter ego to hide behind if you like. (laughs) Um, The idea was to kind of document bits in every day that made me feel good Um, and I started it during a time when I had really poor mental health. I was um, technically homeless, I was sofa surfing, um, having escaped domestic violence and really trying to piece together my life and that was a part of me that I tucked away and I concentrated on this playful side of me, this, you know, I'd share a recipe one day and I got my camera out that I hadn't been using it and really sort of got onto this blogging and online thing about maybe eight, nine years ago. And um, I never really talked about why I started. I just said, oh, you know, it's a rallying cry for sort of a whimsical approach. Let's, let's really try and find a good moment in every day. And I think as I went along, I started to realise that, there were so many stories that I wanted to tell and I wanted to hear and I started a podcast that was called A Playful Day and over the years I started to sort of evolve a community that were really excited about the sort of inspiration that women find from making and creativity because I did a lot about craft and I started to realise that I was really showing a lot of my feminism. Um, I'd always identified as a feminist but maybe not really acted upon my feminism um it was like a good idea of like yes this seems like a good thing that I should be (laughs) and then I realized it was sort of moving in this direction and over time I've evolved it so that my podcast recently relaunched it's now conversations from our days to make the conversation part much more central so that's been my kind of
0: journey (laughs) (laughs) very eloquently done so before we get into what I kind of want to talk to you about today and um, I shared something yesterday on stories about the fact that you are such a brilliant ally and you have been the whole time that I've known you over the past year when you were a playful day and now as you are you're not just an ally of one marginalised community you're an ally of, of of all and I know that sometimes that loses you followers um mm. and I I just wonder how that feels for you because you you are in a marginalized community yourself. So it's not it's not like it's super safe for you to do this. Yeah. So but how how does that feel and how would you encourage other people to do it as well because we should all be doing that.
1: Yes. I, it's a hard statement to say we should because I agree. I really do. It shouldn't be on some of us to make these spaces safe enough for everybody to feel they can step into Mm. um I think it's hard like firstly I should explain for people listening like I'm I'm gay I um came out late in life um and part of the reason I came out late in life is because I came out to myself I didn't realize I was gay um until approaching 30s I started to realize that the reason I was staring at girls wasn't because I really liked their haircut or <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, I really like her sense of style they always seem to go with that girl with that sense of style I actually realized oh I like girls um <laughs> despite really early like you know my first ever sexual experiences with a girl wasn't with a boy and yet I shut that down um and that sort of internalized homophobia isn't uncommon um and I hid from myself and to hide from yourself for that long and then to realize afterwards it's it's a real it's quite a grieving process as well as a celebratory process when you realize and you sort of step in to who you are um and I think part of that is you're not being your your truest self, you're not being as authentic to your identity as you could be, you're not um owning who you are and claiming your space, and you're not free to think without there being these barriers that often for me I couldn't even put my finger on like why is it that I feel like I don't fit or why does that particular imagery bother me or why does this stuff make, cause like this huge anxiety in me because I I don't I'm not that and I don't know what I'm not <laughs> you know I couldn't articulate it and I think for me that then has fed into the way I've gone about my blogging life my podcasting the way I use my platform, any social media, because I really I have so much time for people really exploring their own identities and seeing other people's and that just coexisting. I I'm not a big fan of the word tolerate. It's been a big thing around we need to teach tolerance. I tolerate going to the dentist and having my tooth removed because it's good for me. Um I accept that there are things in this world that are challenging and that I will personally find difficult, but I, I really want to invest in and I want others to be able to live and thrive as their most authentic self. So I think that's why if I ever think of softening something or maybe leaving something or, or I don't really know if that's my place to say something. And sometimes my job as a cisgendered white woman you know I still have a lot of privileges is to be quiet and not take up that space and to make sure there is room for others but a lot of the time I look and I think I can't see anybody else hosting these conversations and people are here because I think from what I've I've you know I did a survey a while ago with all my listeners and was like tell me about the podcast like what kind of words would you use to describe it and a lot of them were like you're you're a bit of a compass like you're just pulling people in and and showing them the d- different directions they could be going on and you're you're really advocating and you're very honest and you're sort of very approachable and you're really compassionate and i mean god doesn't any human being want to be called those things <laughs> you know it was hugely flattering and i had to I had to have a little cry <laughs> <laughs> I start reading this survey monkey like oh I need some chocolate tea I was like I was quite embarrassed reading it because I was expecting them to say like oh I really like the way you do your sound or <laughs> I was completely unprepared for this I was like oh, your so graphics are great <laughs> yeah, exactly that's what I I was like oh I'm gonna have all this list of things that I need to get better in like my timings or something and I just sort of sat there with like this pen of paper like not writing anything down but just bawling <laughs> like, <laughs> Because it meant so much to me um, to be seen and to be understood at the level of where I have been. You know, it's very raw to have escaped domestic violence, to have battled mental health, to realised that you're um, gay, to, you know, I, I was a single parent on benefits. I've been on benefits for the best part of a decade on and off, um, and just all of those things just that make you feel so excluded sometimes and just so exhausted it really matters to me that other people feel held because I I needed to feel it so I guess it doesn't feel optional as a result Mm -hmm. it's the end result of all that I think is a long way of explaining it it just I don't need numbers to tell me that human beings are great on the internet you know yeah (laughs) I really enjoy the community that I I have felt around you know they're they're great they send me amazing and interesting posts that other people have shared and they suggest awesome guests and they tell me their stories and they react to you know I had a great um, blog post that I shared on a um, uh, uh, From French, she is a um, multicultural woman of color, and how she feels with that sort of liminality of living between um, identities, Mm -hmm. and it just so resonated for so many people. And I had all these emails. I'm trying to get hold of her, and I need to tell her this my story. Will you pass this on? And these stories were beautiful, and I just saw like, what's what's a few hundred followers (laughs) in the light of like four or five people who finally saw themselves. Or yes. felt heard or felt like they had somebody who signaled safety to them on the internet. Like, that's, that matters so much more to me.
0: Oh, my God, yes. Yes. 100% yes. But oh. I think I don't see this very often. Out mm. of all the people that I follow online, I feel like I follow a fair amount. But um, even after all the culls that I've done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to sometimes just to see people. So. Well, that's awesome. it. Yeah, Fighting <laughs> like, the algorithms all the time something that I really don't see on in the people that I follow um and in kind of mainstream crowds on Instagram is is people advocating for others and being an ally and I wonder why
1: yeah I think I think people it's a number of things I think people find it really hard to know what to say sometimes I really do and I I think the fear of that can be quite paralyzing um and, I, and my experience being on the receiving end of that as somebody who doesn't then feel seen as a result um, is that I would rather people tried. And, I, and I've had it. And the, the big difference is, is how you respond to someone saying, oh, did you mean that to be hurtful? Because if you double down and, well, no, I'm, I'm not homophobic as a response because we, seem to, we often go to the extremes, don't we? It's like if someone says, actually, when you say that, I don't know if you realise that actually that's that's part of our conditioning that makes you say that and I'm it's quite homophobic and trying to explain that to someone to then be greeted with this outrage that you could think that they're homophobic because we know that that's bad and I think there's a lot of people who, um, particularly a couple of my friends have described this exact scenario around racism. It's like actually when you said that thing about colour blindness actually it was quite offensive to me. And here's why, and I really need you to understand it because I I want us to have this relationship. And the big difference for them is what that person goes, oh, and listens, and reflects, and what they do with that that fear and that lack of knowledge that they had. Like we can't know everything. Like I think the biggest advice I can say on people are like how to be a better ally, I'm like I don't know. Just accept that you're not going to know everything. Mm-hmm. That we are conditioned in certain ways and that is layering and if it was that simple we'd have fixed all these oppressive oppressive factors by now you know like you know if if racism or homophobia or ableism or transphobia or so many isms like fatphobia if any of them just walked up at the most extreme example every time in a way that you could point your finger and say this is bad we'd have fixed it but it doesn't work like that and so I think there's that that factor of of people not knowing what to say but actually sometimes it's really important to have a go because what you're signaling there is that you you have good intentions but also you need to understand that good intentions can still hurt you yes. know like say things with the best of faith and it can you know we've all done it that's sort of like whoa I did not see that reaction coming mm. I really put my foot in it there and it's you know we know how hard it is to then apologize in those situations but that's that's a skill and that's something that we have to be prepared to do if things are going to change but I also think that it's very hard to see the layers that go into keeping you within your own echo chamber and that make it hard to speak up and that make it hard to see what you're adding to you sometimes and it and there is something quite painful sometimes when you see it you know i I very much went through this process with you know, it always mattered to me that I got a variety of voices on my podcast and you can definitely see the beginnings of that. You know, I sort of, I started doing seasons and I, I actually started um, keeping track of who I was inviting on and kind of what their identities were. Like, did I have someone from a working class background? Did I have a woman of colour? Did I have... Um, somebody who was um, able-bodied did I have somebody who identified as you know non-binary you know I I started making this and I realized that I was failing and I was lacking and the reason is because of the way I've been brought up I've been brought up with a lot of privilege there are Mm -hmm. certain spaces that I inhabit because I'm used to dominating in them and not because I'm a dominant person but because I get more privilege in those areas and it you know having to then go okay and having to then really push against what I had been brought up and accepted as truth and then realizing that I was part of the mechanics I was benefiting from the oppression of others and I had to now step out of my privilege out of my comfort zone and really be prepared to learn Mm -hmm. and I think it's hard for us to see that sometimes and it's in fact most of the time not even sometimes I think it's just Because it's, you know, it's everyday life. We often say, well, I live in a very undiverse area, so it's really hard for me to make, you know, a more representative bubble around me. Okay, (laughs) think about the statement that you just made. You live in a very, you know, homogenous looking, and there's a reason you're in that postcode. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that doesn't make you a terrible human being. That means you're a result of the conditioning that is in our society. I do you know i just you know i live in an area that is pretty homogenous um it's it's taken quite a lot for me to develop relationships and you know business contacts and those networks around me that are diverse because i i had to actively go and seek them in order to do it um and it gets easier you know it, it it's funny, like once you do it it just grows and grows and grows and grows and i can really see that and my online life and my real life—I hate saying real life. And my um, yeah, offline <laughs> I life. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I think real could be such a derogatory term sometimes. Um, and yeah, so I—I th- I, I think we need to sort of, while it's not okay to sit in it as an excuse, like mm-hmm. once you once you realise you kind of okay, what can I be doing more? um And it doesn't have to be flag waving and beating the drum. Like hell yeah, sometimes I'll wave a flag and I'll beat a drum because that's what it takes. But um, it can be looking around of like, oh, the last time I shared an e-course with my friends, it was another woman who looked exactly like me. Mm. Okay, I need to think about that because I'm just amplifying the voices of me. Yeah. <laughs> because they all are just a mirror of myself. Okay, who am I amplifying? Because, you know, I'm just perpetuating an idea that only people like me can succeed otherwise. And that, that's a it's a hard thing to do initially because... Society set up that way to make it easy for you to carry on with that down that path.
0: And I think it's important to say that at, at the beginning, and I'm certainly not, I, I wouldn't class myself as an ally, uh, maybe in training. <laughs> um, <laughs> we all are. I don't think yeah, anyone's there in progress. Like, I, you know, but, I think like some of the best activists that I follow. Like they make mistakes, we
1: have to be valid. That's true, that's true. true. Yeah, we have to be allowed to make mistakes. And I think the minute you're like, you know, I'm always really wary of people who really strongly identify. If someone says, I'm an intersectional feminist, Mm. I'm always like, mm hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) be careful now. That's that's sounding like a badge. Um, I can usually see it in someone, their belief systems and what they they stand for. And that to me is somebody who's further along the journey. And usually those people are the first to be like, my bad, knocked over a thing, I th- made a mistake. Yeah, I
0: think <laughs> that's right. Because yeah, so when you're, it doesn't always feel, especially at the beginning, once you've worked out one area of ism that you have, that you don't want to have anymore, it might feel unnatural to start yeah. seeking out and sharing things that you didn't used to share. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be. I don't know that's something that I've struggled with when Mm. and it really brought it into focus when you shared a post and I can't remember who it was by and you said tap through I would hate (laughs) I would hate to be the I can't remember how you worded it It was really funny (laughs) 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 hate to be the only queer in your village or something or the only queer (laughs) in your phone yeah
1: the only queer in your phone that's what I said (laughs) yeah you did I'm your diversity quota
0: for the day. <laughs> <laughs> but it really brought it into sharp focus for me because I thought, hey, yeah, like I've got gay friends. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not homophobic. Oh my God. My phone is straight as.
1: <laughs> because that's what we do. And it's always, we sometimes play ism bingo. <laughs> it's like, I can't be racist. I went to my friend's Muslim wedding. Oh and my god. That oh, is yes. always a sure sign that, that someone's being too defensive. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I have gay friends. It's like I, I am gay and I have homophobia. Like I've <laughs> yeah. internalized it and I hate yeah. myself. So I'm fairly sure if I can do
0: it. <laughs> we can all do and it. <laughs> you, you <know? laughs> but that was really powerful because it just made me stop and think, oh, yeah, okay. There aren't really that many um people from the lgbtq community in in my phone you know as if they're just uh, a fan club or something yeah yeah (laughs) hey guys we're just there there with our rainbow glitter to get it on whenever you feel ready to turn us on like a light see you at pride (laughs) (laughs) what would you say so i want to take it back a little bit because in terms of lgbtq ia plus yeah I think, and I know I personally, get so confused about what labels you should use, what labels you're mm. allowed to use, what um, terms should, should you should use, and you know, this comes back to, I don't want to say anything in case I offend somebody, mm-hmm. but also, I don't, I think, you know, there is Google, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I utilise you know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Which helps to educate people. But for the, for the purpose of this podcast, um, what is LGBTQIA plus? Okay. So um, there's always a debate about what is
1: the most inclusive term mm. to use for a, a lot of communities. This, this goes wider than my own. Um, but I think traditionally we thought of gay as there is lesbian and there is um, homosexual men, gays. And that's it. And then um, there was obviously people who went, well, I kind of like both. And so, okay, cool, bisexuals are in there. And then the idea around there being a fluidity around gender and around sexuality has become a more and more important issue that we don't erase. Mm -hmm. And I'm really careful about how I phrase that because there's a lot of people who feel like, well, there's been like this explosion, like we've got all these like different sexualities, and genders <laughs> and what does non-binary mean and what does yeah. intersex which is the i in lgbtqia um and what does asexual mean mm. and well is it me or like we're, we're suddenly ra- really worried about all these transgender kids that are suddenly appearing like we need to <laughs> reframe that conversation because up until recently people who always felt that way were not allowed to be part of the conversation mm. and um we're just not prominently heard from um is why we sort of, we talk a lot in sort of inter- intersectional feminism in terms of like a plurality of voices. And until we have everybody's voice, we can't really fully understand um, systems of oppression and solutions because we're not hearing from the people that it affects about their lived experience is, And... Um, in answer to the idea of there being a rise in anything, <laughs> you know, we have to remember that 50 years ago, we strapped kids' hands behind them when they w- wrote with their left hand.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it didn't mean there weren't left-handed kids. <laughs> it just meant there were a lot of kids who developed st- stutters and stammers mm. and were very unwell psychologically as a result. I think we're just seeing the same phenomena. Mm. We're just allowing people to finally be themselves. And that is so important. And so the labels thing's always tricky because... You don't want to be offensive by using the wrong one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the most important thing is allowing people the space with which to self-identify. It really matters to me at this point in my life that I identify as a lesbian. Previously, I've identified as bi- bisexual. Mm-hmm. And I will fight to the death <laughs> over the idea that bisexuality is a phase. It's just people haven't picked or being greedy, which is a very common two myths that you come against, like two really massive bits of stigma that just make me want to rage and tip tables over Um, (laughs) and for me bisexuality was like a safe space it was like I think of (laughs) it I I was describing this on the other day I think of my bisexuality like I would like a really loving relationship I had once at university like I think of it fondly it was a space in which I was able to open up and say I have this these feelings for women and I I'm not sure what to do about them and for me I I started to find a sort of a queer family and that was really important to me and I realized within that that I had been allowing myself something that actually that was the thing that I really wanted to be and I think I always understood that sexuality was a very fluid thing like this is me at one phase in my life it's not me forever um I in case my girlfriend decides to listen to this is this forever, is <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how word that. But, um, <laughs> you know and there are people who um they very much change the way they feel about their sexuality I've heard from a lot of um women who decided um decided rather that sounds like oh we suddenly decide we're gay that's really not helpful that's part of something that I'm perpetuating there. <laughs> so they realize and um, they start to identify within themselves feelings that they perhaps always had or emerging feelings that hadn't allowed to have they now maybe they're not attracted just to their husbands that they're attracted to women and they've never been able to explore that but they're in a perfectly safe relationship now with someone very loving everything's set up and they still have the right to identify as that it doesn't have to be performative and so these labels become very important in that and that people sometimes just hearing them I can remember the first time I heard um you know pansexual I can remember sitting there thinking what does pansexual mean I don't I need to like Am I am I really queer if I don't know what this means? What like, does pansexual mean? Um basically the idea of pansexuality is you're um attracted to any gender. Um and the difficult conversation that um is often had is around whether bisexual or pansexual is a is a safer label. Um I see. And I've actually I've got a podcast episode that probably by the time this goes up is about that exact topic. Oh,
0: brilliant, um, I'll
1: link to it. Yeah, yeah, because it's it is really important that we don't erase other people's experiences sometimes in trying to identify our own but you can only go on your own journey and as long as you are making sure that you know you're saying this is me this is where I am this is a safe place also for these other people you know we are all we're all there we're all existing um I think that's kind of That would be my advice to kind of starting to navigate your way around labels. And, yeah, Google. Google. (laughs) Google. The first time I went on, like, an all-queer dating app, I honestly, I think I had, like, the app in one hand and Google (laughs) in the other. (laughs) I was like, I don't even understand what half of these terms mean. (laughs) How the hell am I going to date someone? (laughs) And, you know, and even within um, the queer community, you know, there's nothing like queer politics we will devour each other Mm. if you know if there is because it hurts so much to have your identity erased and we really feel that deeply and sometimes it can hurt so much more painfully when you see it come from within what you feel is your queer family Um, I've seen some pretty intense you know altercations online which really was have completely centered around people were not given the freedom to self-identify and that is so important
0: yeah and I can I can relate to it from a um the only way that I can relate to it which is not even remotely the same but just of my own ethnicity when when somebody within my same community referred to me as white and I and I I had said to you like this really this really hurt me Mm -hmm. more than if a white person had which they do all the time yeah
1: yeah it's true and I and I think that's you know they're not the same oppression um but I do think sometimes we can really learn from each other's experiences in that way and I think that's what I'm trying to tease out with the podcast sometimes is no this isn't my life but hold on there is a foothold here something that echoes something I know yeah maybe we're not so different
0: yeah and I think that's really powerful as well to not say it's just like me which is basically what I just did, but <laughs> you, no, <laughs> you know what I mean. Fine. No, I was actually agreeing with you, but I managed yeah. to make it sound like I wasn't.
1: <laughs> no, I was completely agreeing, and I think part of the reason I've been <clears> careful, <throat> careful is because I think, you know, when we're talking about oppression, I think we need to be really clear that for me, like, there are some some oppression goes through everything. Like class cuts through so many things and it's it's such a major factor in terms of people thriving um and you know some of the homophobia and transphobia is horrific and people do die as a result Mm. but I think in terms of race and ethnicity there are so many ways in which you you never get to pass because of your skin color you never get to have a day off you are always always seen as that identity first and I think people have a really hard time understanding why sometimes that is such an important uh, a system of oppression to recognize because it is it's pervasive and it's it's destroying lives and it's really inhibiting people in a way that I can step off sometimes you know yeah I have you know I joke about having a very queer well I don't joke I take it very seriously I have a very queer style I wear my you know sexuality because it's part of my identity you know i go to a queer barbers now that really matters to me but i can choose Mm. to kind of blend if i want to yeah and i i i think that was me trying to be very clear that i understand that difference as a white woman Yeah. and that really matters to me that people know that i i get it like i get a day off
0: i was talking to somebody about this recently um offline (laughs) um from my point of view, I think because I and I feel ashamed of myself, um, because I can very easily pass as a white woman, I have had double privilege in that I can pass as a white woman <clears throat> not when I was younger, but now, um, mm-hmm. but I can also say, Oh, hey, I'm not one of you, I can also pass as, um, yeah, who I am, which is Arabic, so I can do. Both. And it, and the fact that I I didn't really deny. Yeah, I suppose I did. I, I led with my whiteness. Mm. And because I did that for so many years, it's almost, I almost feel more of a r- responsibility now to say, oh, yeah, you know what, uh, I am half Arabic, or mm. I'm Arabic and British, because somebody who is black, yeah, they don't have a day off. They don't have that choice to jump into, oh, I'm going to be white today because that works better for my for my day. <laughs> I'm mm. going to a particularly white event, so I'm just going to jump into that camp. And then tomorrow, I'm going to see my, you know, I'm going to go to a black event, and therefore I can jump into that. Like, th- that is not an option.
1: Yeah, but isn't that just such a sad statement? There were so many emotions that you described there. Like, you talked about shame a lot, and being ashamed of yourself. But I think we're really taught that shame mm. around, like, that's what you learn to do in order to survive, to be more palatable and to be more acceptable in a very racist society. Yeah. Like that that galls me to hear you say it. And I, I really hope other people sit with that discomfort as they hear you describe that. That's important that we acknowledge that's how you've learned to survive. And you're right, it, it does put you in a position that then you do want to sort of level up in your allyship of like, I now... I can relate to some of this experience. There is an echo here that does not feel good. And now I, I know it. And now I can see it and I can feel it. I know what I can personally do to try and help others. Mm. And it's um, there was a great interview that I did with Imrile Morgan. She calls herself the Inclusivity Queen. And she owns that title. She really does. She's great. Uh, she runs a podcasting network. And she's very much about amplifying um, sort of marginalized voices. And um, she talked about it's not a problem to have privilege. Like she talks about like, I enjoy my privileges. Oh yeah, I bask in them sometimes. Like, cause I enjoy some. Because in other areas of my life, I experienced so much oppression as a black woman. Mm. And she really articulated, it's not about the privilege, it's what you do with it that matters. If you're wielding that privilege, that's not okay. If you're sitting in it, like using it as a barrier that's the problem Mm. but you're allowed to enjoy it every now and again like you're allowed a day off and it just oh it it was just so it was just so powerful when she said it to hear her really sort of articulate the difference to me of when it tips over into not okay I was like yes that was the thing I couldn't put my finger on thank you (laughs) and that's that's what I love about conversations if we you know it's not just sometimes about saying this is a problem and you have to accept it and well sometimes people do just have to accept it (laughs) this isn't okay we need to stop using this language but um you know when you have the conversation someone will then articulate something in a way that you go ping light bulb that's why I couldn't get it and it just helps you reshuffle and reframe what you know for 30 odd years of your life you've accepted as truth
0: Mm. I think your recent uh, it was actually for your Patreon. Was it just for your Patreon? The live with Frenchy. Yeah. Um. Was oh, great. It was so powerful. Was how she broke down um, cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. I I understood a le- to a level of cultural appropriation, but the way she broke it down, I was like, yes, that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat>
1: yeah. It really helped me to understand. You know, she just said, "I saw the question. Where are the people?" Where are the people whose work you are using? Mm. You can say you're appreciating it, but if those people do not exist in that appreciation, you've moved into a position of power. And what's more, if you are profiting from it, if you are making money from it, we are really into cultural mm. misappropriation now. Um, and I, that to me was like, it was just such a simple baseline that should be so obvious, but I hadn't been able to find the words with which have sometimes I've just had a ooh squick when I've seen something like something doesn't feel right. I don't like this picture and I don't know why. Mm. It just feels like an appropriation is I didn't see the people. Um and that's that's what it boils down to. Um is that it, you know you've removed the culture, you've removed the culture from the cultural reference. Mm. You know, that's important to to be able to see the difference and and that sort of helped with that line for me of where it stops being educational and the appreciation and it moves in something that's part of a sort of colonializing of culture that it's really it's not a good look let's not
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's just <laughs> not go there
1: guys let's Come just on. not let's, please let's let's take a look at our photo booths they're the worst offenders let's take a look at some of these things we get up to with our holiday pictures with our hair braiding like let's really oh think about it like it's so common some of these situations yeah. like yeah, it's yeah. just harmless fun but it's it's That harmless fun that you were at the weekend at the party with a photo booth with your fake afros and your sombreros. Cool. Okay, so now somebody who actually comes from that culture, comes into a bank manager, asks for a loan. You know, you're telling me that didn't inform your Mm decision-making. So we've got to be a little bit careful about, you know, how far we take these supposed jokes that are in good humour. Yeah, Um,
0: 100%. Because it's just a hop, hop, skip and jump away from blackface. You know, yeah. years
1: ago in in, uh, well, not even years not ago, not even years is, ago. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose in Australia they were doing it and mm. dressing up as Serena Williams recently, yeah. and they blackface. I mean, it's how we. I mean, we're in a society we can't hide behind. That was something that happened long ago, yeah, <laughs> and we've yeah. got to be. Oh, I saw something great with someone articulating it. You know, you know, well, you know, people. It was okay in this day and age. Mm. <laughs> someone said, "I'm fairly sure to the people that it was oppressive. Yeah. It was okay." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like that's an excellent point that is yeah. also another we are making ourselves feel better that well that used to go on but we don't do that anymore that yeah. <laughs> like we're trying to anesthetize our pain by saying that it's okay this is uncomfortable let's dig into it <laughs> yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah, absolutely um one thing that you just before we end it I mm-hmm. wanted to ask you about um When people say, and I know this infuriates you and I totally understand why, but I'd love you to elaborate on it. When people say, Mm -hmm. I can't believe this happens. I can't believe in this day and age, particularly probably in reference to perhaps um, you've talked about experiencing homophobia or it it literally could be anything, but Mm -hmm. I can't believe it happens in this day. It's 2018. I can't believe there's homophobia.
1: Mm, It's really hurtful is my first experience. Like I pull up short when I hear it and I don't see somebody who is a safe person when I hear it, despite the fact that they're expressing shock. And sometimes it is really shocking what you're hearing and sometimes it is really painful and it's really uncomfortable. Um, you know, some of the things that I have witnessed online, I have gasped out loud that people think it's okay to say things like that to someone. Um, but... What's really important in that moment is that someone who is a victim of that understands that you see their pain. That instead of centering like I can't believe or I feel really anxious around these conversations or I can't believe it, it's centering you. And what you we need to be doing is centering that person, healing that wound. But the other thing that it does is it communicates to me that up until this point you were not aware that this existed. You thought we lived in a homophobia free society. And yet every day I have to change the way I behave so that I don't meet homophobia. I have to bite down a really snappy response when someone asks my child who is her real mum because she has two mummies. And I know what they're really asking and what they're perpetuating and what they're reinforcing to my child. And if I was to kick off about it, I would be the unreasonable one. Um, And I have to consider that when both my girlfriend and I walk out we both wear we like to wear shirts and ties we are as um our friend Seth petrick says we are the handsome suffix um <laughs> that is our style aesthetic we um we, we get, get at, yeah yeah I, I absolutely am gonna front a band called handsome suffix this is, this is my global reveal on your podcast but um we We experience more homophobia when we're dressed that way. We experience it from men who see that we've rejected them. And so when somebody says in this day and age or I'm really shocked, what they're telling me is that they were unaware that I had to live with this every day. And there is a great online activist called Rachel Cargill who she does amazing work, actually. And she runs a Patreon and she runs a tip jar, which I regularly throw money in because she has educated me so much and it is never a person's job to educate me that's what she's chosen to do with her activism Mm -hmm. but she talked about in that moment your eyes lit up and you communicated to me that you felt the pain but you didn't feel my pain you felt your pain Mm -hmm. and what I need you right now to do is help me heal this wound and I just think she talks about it so well um it's just you can express the shock because it is shocking mm. and you can say this is absolutely shocking but what you need to do is come back to that person and be with them in that moment and ask them what do you need and the, the best responses I, I you know I've heard is just kind of isn't even the you know the the perpetrators it, it's just they've really stuck with me and they've really affirmed who I am um because you know response is like well it's not it's no one's business kind of makes me feel like I'm a dirty bedroom secret to yeah. be honest it like, was well, no one's no business who you sleep with uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was kind of cool with it but <laughs> because it, it again that's something that sounds like they've equated my sexual identity with what I do with my sex life yeah they're two different things yeah um and it it, it brings in this idea of shamefulness around yeah. sex which for any sexuality is not cool like you know get on with your loving self that's that's a great thing to not be
0: ashamed of but aren't we so great at shaming shaming our children's sex lives from a really early age in Britain <laughs> oh my just, goodness we just love I think we were talking about this and I oh it's a, an opinion I've had for a long time and I find it disgusting the thought that I would ever have to at any age come out to my mum and dad and say hey I've decided I've thought I've weighed things up I've thought about it but I've decided um on balance I think I'd like to have sex with men the thought that I would (laughs) ever have to do that to my parents so therefore I would like you to refer to me as your heterosexual daughter and you can just tell everybody going forward that men is who I want to sleep with yeah just just disgusting like I can't even imagine having to do that yeah I yearn
1: for a world where it, it just isn't and that I have to every new relationship be it a professional one um you know a colleague a peer so a mum at the school gate teacher I have to at what point do I slide in yeah. and it is easier when you're in a relationship so say oh my girlfriend can come pick her yeah, up or sure. you know and I'm very careful not to say partner um because I want to make it clear it's a quite a gentle way of putting it in there quite early um because there's a thing sometimes that happens that people feel quite shocked that you didn't tell them straight away, like maybe you didn't trust them. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember disclosing when I was in a relationship with a man. <laughs> it didn't seem to matter one bit whatsoever. So I'm not sure why I had to you know, this time. But I because I'm prepared for that reaction, I have to manage that mm. a lot. And that's and it that stuff builds up. It's really tiring. And it never stops, because you'll always meet someone that you have to come out to. Like It never stops the coming out. And the the weird reactions to it.
0: We sort of fetishise the coming out process, don't we? Oh,
1: we really do. Everyone loves a good coming out Mm. story. I've never told mine um, because I just... I, (laughs) I think people... They, they either want to hear there was tears and oh we've always seen you and this amazing story <laughs> and come here and they tuck you under their arm and, and you all weep together in this very cathartic moment um which in itself is gross that, that idea I mean i you know that's beautiful <laughs> in some ways but also like that's what we uphold or there was a screaming raging and mm. you were kicked out which is the reality for so many people so many um it's really common within my community in our community is to have weddings where the family aren't present that's mm. or there's a friend that isn't present there's some somebody who should be there at a wedding isn't um that's really not uncommon still and it's it's exhausting mm. um so yeah it it's a really weird it's a weird thing and I can often see that sort of slight oh at this, they might get the story reaction. It was also think think, you are not the person that I need. Or I just say, there was no reaction. Nothing. Mm. Absolutely nothing. We've never spoken of it since. And you can just see people like, I don't know how to process that. Like, cool. But you're really glad you asked now, aren't you? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Your eyes lit up. You wanted a story. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it will not be made into a TV movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: You don't know what to do with it. It is uncomfortable. You are correct. <laughs>
0: we shouldn't laugh because that's also incredibly hurtful to have no reaction as well
1: it is and it's something that I don't you know I don't talk about my family particularly online I think it's fairly obvious why or at least it is I think to a lot of people who also identify as queer who follow me you know we get it
0: thank you so so much for being a podcast guest again thank
1: you it's been a pleasure it's always good talking to you yeah
0: likewise (laughs) where can everybody find you online
1: you can find me as Kate O underscore Sullivan on most social media. I'm Instagrammy. I rant a lot on Twitter. I like a good um, chat on Twitter. Come and say hi. I'm Kate O'Sullivan.org. Um, it's my website where you will find conversations from our days, which is my podcast, which publishes fortnightly. And I'm even on Patreon where I'm growing lots of conversations even further and even more in depth because I am funding the fact that I uh, do all this information sharing for free I transcribe every podcast um, because I really try and walk my talk which is quite expensive it turns out
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes go and support Kate everywhere thanks for listening you can find me at Lucy LuCraft everywhere. You can find old episodes of What She Said over at lucyleucraft.com where you'll also find me chatting about all things blogging, travel, vegan life and zero waste living too. Lastly, I know everybody asks this and it's a total pain in the ass, but please think about leaving the show a rating and review. It makes a huge difference to getting the show out to new listeners and for every review you leave, I'll donate £2 to charity. This month's charity is endometriosis. UK. If you leave a review, I'll give a pound and I'll give a pound on your behalf. So two pounds for every review left.